I was able to, you know, discover her work email based off of just, you know, having the naming convention and in, in, in her name, her full name. Um, I spoofed an email to um, both of her addresses, informing her that her, uh, her scheduled maintenance on her new Ford Bronco was coming up. <laughs> and uh, that was a malicious link that I put in the email. <clears throat> and when she clicked that link, I, I had access to her machine. Welcome to the DevSec for Scale podcast, the show that makes security a first-class citizen for growing companies. My name is Jeremy Hess, Head of Developer Relations at Aquilas, the secrets management SaaS platform. This interview podcast brings security experts and practitioners together to offer practical and actionable ways for small and growing companies to implement security best practices using shift-left principles without interrupting developer life cycles. Welcome back, everybody, to the DevSec for Scale podcast. My name is Jeremy Hess from Aquilas, and today with me is Nick DiPasquale. He is a cybersecurity leader and a security researcher. Uh, Nick and I met through Slack, of all places, through one of the cybersecurity channels. Nick, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for uh, joining me. Uh, and we're actually going to talk about a topic that I haven't spoken about to anyone uh, for this podcast, and I actually really haven't spoken about any time in my career. So it's really, uh, you know, we're going to buckle ourselves in for this ride. Uh, should be interesting. And before we get into a little bit more about you, your background, um, and what you're doing today, uh, let's just get right into it. So the first question, uh, spicing things up, uh, what would you say are the most common attack vectors uh, that you see today um, in, you know, with everything being connected? It's still people. And I think it's going to be people for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, you and I were, were speaking about, about this show and, um, you know, how you can have the most mature security posture, the most secure or mature tech stack in the world with your, within your security program. But wrapping compensating controls around people is always going to be an issue. Absolutely. Uh, we, and we're going to dig more into, into that uh, a little bit later. Uh, and so let's get a little more about you. Can you give us, you know, just some of your background and uh, what you're doing today? Sure. Um, you know, there's about a, a million and one different ways you can find your way working in the security field. Um, I came in through a sysadmin and then a systems engineering DevOps route. Um, always been kind of focused on the infrastructure side and then moving over towards like the cloud, more DevOps automation focused. Um, and then just kind of fell into it, which is I think the way most people fall into security. Um, I always had a passion for it. Um, always knew it was something I wanted to do. Um, but the fact that I get to do what I do every day for work, work, right? Work, it's, uh, it's, it's a gift. That's great. Fantastic. And uh, what, tell us a little bit about your current role. What, uh, what are some of the things that are, uh, you know, that interest you today that you're working on? Um, always been focused on open source intelligence. To me, it's just been uh, super fascinating uh, being able to just comb data or comb for data that people just willingly give up, right? Whether it's blog posts, Twitter posts, uh, Reddit, um, license plate numbers, anything. Uh, it's always just fascinating to me how much data you can gather uh, and start tying points together, whether it be for, you know, the reconnaissance phase of a, of a red team engagement or, um, you know, identifying a threat actor or actively going out and, and procuring threat intelligence rather than, 
just waiting for threat intel to come to you through through indicators of compromise or, or anything. Um, but at uh, at Benbrook, you know, we really focusing on uh, MDR. Uh, we developed our own MDR, um, and then recently launched a new service framework for what we're we're calling Bodyguard, which is uh, a way to protect the the human element um, when you leave the office and, and leave the bounds of, of those those corporate protections in that security stack. Yeah, great stuff. So. Um... You know, being that we're talking about, you know, a more human issue, not necessarily an automation issue or anything like that. What what do you think developers uh, can generally do to ensure that they and their teams uh, don't allow an attacker to just, you know, gain access to their networks from from that human side? Yeah, you know, that's this this question or, or this scenario in general is an interesting blend of, of a technical problem and a technical solution and a human problem and a human solution. Um, being aware of what you're developing, the code you're writing, where you're storing those secrets, um, any controls within that CI/CD pipeline, um, not putting secrets directly in plain text in your code, or you know, subsequently in a in a GitHub repo that may or may not be public. Um, I think we've all seen that that whoopsie moment, right? Um, so just times. being aware of your surroundings and, and having that culture and security, right? That, that, that you really drive from the top down within an organization. And that goes way deeper than just development too. It's, it's you know, it goes into emails. Um, everyone's super busy. So we get an email from someone who needs something urgently. You're doing everything in an urgent manner. You meet that need or make that request urgently. Uh, and then four hours later, when you calm down, you realize that you may have made a mistake. And that's how it happens usually. Yeah, I was starting to get emails from my uh, CEO that you know he urgently needs my phone number. So, <laughs> or luckily, luckily, your card. Some, yeah, one of those <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's a tough world, a tough world out there. Um, and so, in terms of you know what we're talking about today uh, and what's happening, um, it seems seems like there's issues, you know, especially after COVID and all that, where a lot of people are more remote, right? So remote work is is a big deal, obviously. Um, and so, uh, actually, I spoke with in our first episode, uh, Dr. Chase Cunningham, um, about a different topic, but he's obviously uh, one of the most prolific advocates uh, of zero trust. And, uh, you know, so how do you think, how can organizations really enforce methods like zero trust, you know, with the, the human element involved? Man, that's, that's the million dollar question is, is how are you, you know, how, how are you going to force the, the top down or not uh, forces? It sounds really uh, forceful. Enforce, um, maybe. Enforce, right. Um, it's, it needs to be a culture shift that that gets supported from the top down. And the issue that's always been existent with security is the more secure an environment is, the less convenient it is. So how do you adopt these practices within your organization to ensure that security without inconveniencing your people on a, on a daily basis when they're just trying to go through their their daily lives at work and, and just through some workflow that pertains to their role. Um, I think it becomes a technical solutions issue along with a, a support issue. Um, and when I say support, I don't mean like a technical support. I mean like a cultural support uh, within the organization as a whole. 
um, how do you implement these solutions without inconveniencing your workers to a certain extent? I think any, any adoption of a, of a broad security policy or a model is going to introduce some sort of inconvenience, so to speak. Um, so, you know, how do you, how do you do that without making people's lives, not, not terrible, but, you know, letting them go through their, their job in a, in a manner that, you know, improves that posture overall, but without making them authenticate 15 to 20 times per day. Well, what, where do you see, do you have, you know, what are you seeing in terms of actual uh, real world zero trust? I, I mean, are you finding that things are, are generally okay, or are you seeing that there are too many holes to be poked? Too many holes to be poked when it pertains to zero trust in general, or just the this, this state of security in general? I'd say with, with uh, let's go with both. Let's start with, you know, security in general, and then specific to zero trust. Well, I would say for the state of security in general, uh, the, the majority of the same vectors still exist. Um, and those, again, are, are the human unpatched systems and people just, you know, leaving secrets in the open. We're just doing something that uh, they're not particularly aware of from uh, a workflow perspective, essentially on accident. Humans will always make errors. Um, from a zero trust perspective, you know, I think that there's, there's great solutions out there and there's a great way to implement them and deploy them. But without that support from the top down and that support of making that cultural shift, it's, it's hard to implement, especially because you're, you're going to have that pushback. You're going to have someone who may or may not, you know, be willing to uh, deploy an agent to their laptop if it's BYOD. Um, or if you put too much enforcement on, on an endpoint, you know, you run the risk of them kind of doing quasi BYOD to get around the, the, the inconvenience. Um, so it's, it, it's a hard problem to solve. Uh, and, and I think it takes buy-in across, across the board. I feel like that's also another thing you just mentioned is, you know, the idea that people will find their own workarounds um, for for different things. I know I have uh, spoken to people as well that say things like, I actually still have, you know, admin privileges on certain accounts. I left left the company three months ago and they never took me, you know, my account off of, you know, this and this uh, app. So I actually still have, uh, you know, admin rights to it. And I just think to myself, how how do you miss that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, that really comes down to like a, that, that's actually a, that's like an onion. Right? There's a lot of layers to that, that situation. It's, um, you know, an, an account lifecycle management problem. It's an HR process problem, onboarding and offboarding. Um, and we can probably have a whole other episode on identity and access management. <laughs> like it's, sure. it is a bear. Absolutely. So what I really wanted to get, you know, because we're talking about, human cases, there's always, I'm sure, some interesting, maybe slightly embarrassing, uh, real story uh, that you probably have. So is there any, you know, use case that you could share with us that happened, whether it was with you, a client or anything else? Yeah, um, had an interesting engagement a while back. um, And um, out of respect for, you know, the, the customer and the folks involved uh, within that organization where we're not gonna say who they were specifically, but it, it paints a, a good picture. Um, so I was brought in to uh, assist in a red team exercise 
Uh, and I was coming in from a, a reconnaissance perspective. Um, yeah. So I, I started building a, a, a persona and, and just a profile on, on the company, um, you know, using open source intelligence to build that profile. I was searching satellite imagery, uh, looking at, uh, you know, access roads around the property, um, identifying if they had any security cameras outside the building in the parking lot, um, identifying physical entrances, um, and then starting to build um, employee profiles and personas that were high enough value to go after, but not technical in nature. And ideally, you know, when I'm doing these things, I want to focus on uh, a more busy person. And, and you know, who's, who's the most busy group within any organization? It's probably your sales folks. Um, you know, maybe finance, marketing, um, HR, depending on the time of year. Um, even maybe like office admin, right? Um, they're, they're usually pretty busy. But in this case, I, I opted to, um, to focus on someone in sales. And uh, when I started digging into um, this particular individual and for the, for the sake of this conversation, we'll, we'll call her Becky. Um, she was a senior, senior vice president of sales at this organization. And uh, Becky was uh, a overshare and frequent poster on, on social media. And she was married to a gentleman, we'll call him Bob. Um, they had three children, they had a golden retriever. I'm going through a list of just stuff that I put together. Uh, they lived here in my area in Texas. She went to Harvard Business School. Uh, she recently bought a new vehicle, which was a new Ford Bronco. I was a little, little jealous on that one. I really want a Bronco. Um, you know, going through social media, I was also able to see the, the trend for the past few years. It seems like they went on a family vacation to St. Lucia. Um, so, you know, I'm able to go through these, these information sources that that are publicly available and at the surface seem harmless. But if I was a bad actor, I can map out your, your schedule, your life, just things that are important to you. Uh, and there's a lot of risk from that on multiple levels. Um, husband's name, kid's name, mom's name, dad's name, birthdays, things that are important to you. You can start to develop like a word list um, and use that list to, to potentially guess a password, right? That's one thing you can do. Um, but in addition to gathering all that information, what I did was just park outside their office and just sat there and uh, sitting in their parking lot, um, you know, you're able to determine a, a, a rough timeline of, you know, when they come and go over the course of the day, maybe identify what days over a pattern if they work from home, or maybe you're able to identify that she hadn't shown up since, you know, Wednesday, but she showed up Monday. So maybe she was on vacation. Maybe that coincides with a social media post about somewhere she went that weekend. Then you can, you know, discern she probably was on vacation. Um, and then by knowing uh, a, a home address from, you know, available data sources, like uh, whether it be a, a license plate or being able to determine um, uh, like GPS coordinates from a photo, um, you can you can really pivot and and start to gather information on on the home and which is is scary but you know if you were a bad actor th these are things that you can leverage so i was able to you know discover her work email based off of just you know having the naming convention and, and, and her name her full name 
Um, I spoofed an email to um, both of her addresses, informing her that her uh, her scheduled maintenance on her new Ford Bronco was coming up. <laughs> and uh, that was a malicious link that I put in the email. <clears throat> and when she clicked that link, I, I had access to her machine. And that's it. Um, and while I was only brought in to do the reconnaissance phase and intelligence gathering, this was a, a great exercise and just how much can go wrong with what you share. Right. And it's, um, you know, it, it, it's partly a psychology issue. You, you get something new that you're proud of. Uh, you want to show the world you work hard for it. And, you know, I, I get it. I do the same thing. I'm guilty, but you can leverage these things to gain information about people. And if you were truly a bad actor, you, you can use it to, to exploit them as well. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's not just the basic uh, spam we all get. It's when you put a personal detail there that there's no way some Nigerian prince knew, you know, about some recent purchase or some vacation that you just took, but you add that little touch in people really kind of let their guard down. It seems. Yeah. If you can, um, you know, if you're trying to gather information from someone or if it's a target uh obviously doing this in a in a legal manner um you know you're, you're able to to strike a chord so to speak and make that personal connection when you make that connection um there's a there's a level of assumption that goes on on their part they assume since you know their email address you know you know in this case what car they bought um you know you know that she's the one that bought that car and in that email, I mean, I took a stock photo from Ford's website that was the, the same vehicle, the same color, you know, the little, the little like rendering of the vehicle. Yep. And um, <clears throat> you're able to make that connection. And like I said, there's, there's a, an element of assumption that goes on because you automatically think, okay, this person from this car dealership knows me. They have my email address. They know I bought this car there. They know my schedule maintenance is coming up. Um, I'm very busy. Of course, I'm going to click this link to schedule an appointment instead of calling or having them call me to confirm. So that 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 moment of of trust and assumption just that, that's that's it. Yeah, absolutely. So shifting gears just a little bit, um, and this is a question uh, that I ask to all my guests. Uh, what are one or two tips that you would have for you know? I would say younger companies that are really just getting their, uh, their security together, uh, that, you know, for their developers that could help them prepare the organization, uh, for potential future, uh, you know, cyber attacks, because obviously the startups, the younger companies, I'm not, I'm not important enough for anyone to, you know, as an attack, you know, as, as a, a business, right. I'm just a small, nothing. No one's going to try and, and hack me. Um, so what were, what are some, you know, things that you could give, you know, some tips for and some advice for them about how they could prepare, uh, whether it's, you know, automated code-based or human-based. You know, I think holistically it's important to, from, especially from a security perspective, just since we're, we're focusing on that topic, just because you're small doesn't mean you need to, to think like you're small and act like you're small. I think if you are a small shop and you're, you're growing, you're scaling and, and you're delivering you know, product, um, it's important to think like you're further down the line. It's important to, to think and act like you're bigger than you are uh, to adopt these principles from the start. 
the worst thing, and I've seen it time and time again from clients of mine or from just roles that I've worked in the past. Um, everyone is so focused from the start on building product and delivering and shipping code um, and marketing that they overlook security. And then they get to like a, a series B, series C, series, you know, series whatever funding. And they're now they're starting to think about security because clients are asking about it. Customers are asking about it. Investors are asking about it. And now you're at this point where you're like, oh, crap, I need to play some catch up. And now you're talking about a, a major <clears throat> excuse me, a major cultural shift that needs to happen. And you're trying to backdate all of that and just shoehorn these compensated controls and technical solutions into a workflow that's existed for a year, two years, three years. So you have a full staff who is used to working in this manner and you have a, a, a tech stack within your organization that's people aren't used to those controls and policies and procedures. So it, it kind of related to, to building a foundation. You're, you're part of that foundation is, is that CICD pipeline. It's, it's that development workflow. And part of that foundation also needs to be those security practices because you, it, it's, like I said, time and time again, you, you end up in that playing catch-up mode and it's not the right time to do it. it. It never works out the way it should. And it's always a moving target. And security is a moving target anyways. So, you know, let's not make this the problem any worse than it already is start thinking about these things from the start start implementing these controls those policies and those procedures and that culture of security awareness from the start and it will serve you very well in the future absolutely everything from day zero is uh yeah prevent prevent zero days by starting security at day zero right yeah yeah if you start all the way back you can't go back further there you go. Awesome. Nick, thank you so much for your time. Uh, learned a lot. Uh, really interesting ideas to see you know, how, how cyber works from the human, uh, human aspect. So uh, thank you so much. And uh, I hope that we speak again soon uh, and uh, look forward to it. So have a really good day. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. Have a good one.